section twenty five of a history of our own times volume one by justin mccarthy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter eleven the disasters at kabul part three a terrible agony of suspense followed among the little english force in the cantonments the military chiefs afterwards stated that they did not know until the following day that any calamity had befallen the envoy but a keen suspicion ran through the cantonments that some fearful deed had been done no step was taken to avenge the death of macnaughton even when it became known that his hacked and mangled body had been exhibited in triumph all through the streets and bazaars of kabul a paralysis seemed to have fallen over the councils of our military chiefs on december twenty fourth eighteen forty one came a letter from one of the officers seized by akbar khan accompanying proposals for a treaty from the afghan chiefs it is hard now to understand how any english officers could have consented to enter into terms with the murderers of macnaughton before his mangled body could well have ceased to bleed it is strange that it did not occur to most of them that there was an alternative that they were not ordered by fate to accept whatever the conquerors chose to offer we can all see the difficulty of their position general elphinstone and his second-in-command brigadier shelton were convinced that it would be equally impossible to stay where they were or to cut their way through the afghans but it might have occurred to many that they were nevertheless not bound to treat with the afghans they might have remembered the famous answer of the father in corneille's immortal drama who was asked what his son could have done but yield in the face of such odds and exclaims in generous passion that he could have died one english officer of mark did counsel his superiors in this spirit this was major eldred pottinger whose skill and courage in the defence of herat we have already mentioned pottinger was for cutting their way through all enemies and difficulties as far as they could and then occupying the ground with their dead bodies but his advice was hardly taken into consideration it was determined to treat with the afghans and treating with the afghans now meant accepting any terms the afghans chose to impose on their fallen enemies in the negotiations that went on some written documents were exchanged one of these drawn up by the english negotiators contains a short sentence which we believe to be absolutely unique in the history of british dealings with armed enemies it is an appeal to the afghan conquerors not to be too hard upon the vanquished not to break the bruised reed in friendship kindness and consideration are necessary not overpowering the weak with sufferings in friendship we appeal to the friendship of macnaughton's murderers to the friendship in any case of the man whose father we had dethroned and driven into exile not overpowering the weak with sufferings the weak were the english one might fancy he was reading the plaintive and piteous appeal of some forlorn and feeble tribe of helpless half-breeds for the mercy of arrogant and overmastering rulers suffolk's imperious tongue is stern and rough says one in shakespeare's pages when he is bidden to ask for consideration at the hands of captors whom he is no longer able to resist 
the tongue with which the english force at kabul addressed the afghans was not imperious or stern or rough it was baited mild and plaintive only the other day it would seem these men had blown up the gates of guzni and rushed through the dense smoke and the falling ruins to attack the enemy hand to hand only the other day our envoy had received in surrender the bright sword of dost mohammed now the same men who had seen these things could only plead for a little gentleness of consideration and had no thought of resistance and did not any longer seem to know how to die we accepted the terms of treaty offered to us nothing else could be done by men who were not prepared to adopt the advice of the heroic father in Cornet. the english were at once to take themselves off out of afghanistan giving up all their guns except six which they were allowed to retain for their necessary defence in their mournful journey home they were to leave behind all the treasure and to guarantee the payment of something additional for the safe conduct of the poor little army to peshawar or to jalalabad and they were to hand over six officers as hostages for the due fulfilment of the conditions it is of course understood that the conditions included the immediate release of dost mohammed and his family and their return to afghanistan when these should return the six hostages were to be released only one concession had been obtained from the conquerors it was at first demanded that some of the married ladies should be left as hostages but on the urgent representations of the english officers this condition was waived at least for the moment when the treaty was signed the officers who had been seized when macnaughton was murdered were released it is worth mentioning that these officers were not badly treated by akbar khan while they were in his power on the contrary he had to make strenuous efforts and did make them in good faith to save them from being murdered by bands of his fanatical followers one of the officers has himself described the almost desperate efforts which akbar khan had to make to save him from the fury of the mob who thronged thirsting for the blood of the englishman up to the very stirrup of their young chief akbar khan says this officer at length drew his sword and laid about him right manfully in defence of his prisoner when however he had got the latter into a place of safety the impetuous young afghan chief could not restrain a sneer at his captive and the cause his captive represented turning to the english officer he said more than once in a tone of triumphant derision some words such as these so you are the man who came here to seize my country it must be owned that the condition of things gave bitter meaning to the taunt if they did not actually excuse it at a later period of this melancholy story it is told by lady sale that crowds of the fanatical gilsies were endeavouring to persuade akbar khan to slaughter all the english and that when he tried to pacify them they said that when burns came into the country they entreated akbar khan's father to have burns killed or he would go back to hindustan and on some future day return and bring an army with him to take our country from us and all the calamities had come upon them because dost mohammed would not take their advice akbar khan either was or pretended to be moderate he might indeed safely put on an air of magnanimity his enemies were doomed it needed no command from him to decree their destruction 
the withdrawal from kabul began it was the heart of a cruel winter the english had to make their way through the awful pass of Kur kabul this stupendous gorge runs for some five miles between mountain ranges so narrow lofty and grim that in the winter season the rays of the sun can hardly pierce its darkness even at the noontide down the centre dashed a precipitous mountain torrent so fiercely that the stern frost of that terrible time could not stay its course the snow lay in masses on the ground the rocks and stones that raised their heads above the snow in the way of the unfortunate travellers were slippery with frost soon the white snow began to be stained and splashed with blood fearful as this Kurd kabul pass was it was only a degree worse than the road which for two whole days the english had to traverse to reach it the army which set out from kabul numbered more than four thousand fighting men of whom europeans it should be said formed but a small proportion and some twelve thousand camp followers of all kinds there were also many women and children lady macnaughton widow of the murdered envoy lady sale whose gallant husband was holding jellalabad at the near end of the khyber pass towards the indian frontier mrs sturt her daughter soon to be widowed by the death of her young husband mrs trevor and her seven children and many other pitiable fugitives the winter journey would have been cruel and dangerous enough in time of peace but this journey had to be accomplished in the midst of something far worse than common war at every step of the road every opening of the rocks the unhappy crowd of confused and heterogeneous fugitives were beset by bands of savage fanatics who with their long guns and long knives were murdering all they could reach it was all the way a confused constant battle between a guerrilla enemy of the most furious and merciless temper who were perfectly familiar with the ground and could rush forward and retire exactly as suited their tactics the english soldiers weary weak and crippled by frost could make but a poor fight against the savage afghans it was no longer says sir j w k a retreating army it was a rabble in chaotic flight men women and children horses ponies camels the wounded the dying the dead all crowded together in most intractable confusion among the snow and amid the relentless enemies the massacre to quote again from sir j w k was fearful in this Kurd kabul pass three thousand men were said to have fallen under the fire of the enemy or to have dropped down paralyzed and exhausted to be slaughtered by the afghan knives and amidst these fearful scenes of carnage through a shower of matchlock balls rode english ladies on horseback or in camel panniers sometimes vainly endeavouring to keep their children beneath their eyes and losing them in the confusion and bewilderment of the desolating march was it for this then that our troops had been induced to capitulate was this the safe conduct which the afghan chiefs had promised in return for their accepting the ignominious conditions imposed on them some of the chiefs did exert themselves to their utmost to protect the unfortunate english it is not certain what the real wish of akbar khan may have been 
he protested that he had no power to restrain the hordes of fanatical gilzies whose own immediate chiefs had not authority enough to keep them from murdering the english whenever they got a chance the force of some few hundred horsemen whom akbar khan had with him were utterly incapable he declared of maintaining order among such a mass of infuriated and lawless savages akbar khan constantly appeared on the scene during this journey of terror at every opening or break of the long straggling flight he and his little band of followers showed themselves on the horizon trying still to protect the english from utter ruin as he declared come to gloat over their misery and to see that it was surely accomplished some of the unhappy english were ready to believe yet his presence was something that seemed to give a hope of protection akbar khan at length startled the english by a proposal that the women and children who were with the army should be handed over to his custody to be conveyed by him in safety to peshawar there was nothing better to be done the only modification of his request or command that could be obtained was that the husbands of the married ladies should accompany their wives with this agreement the women and children were handed over to the care of this dreaded enemy and lady macnaughton had to undergo the agony of a personal interview with the man whose own hand had killed her husband few scenes in poetry or romance can surely be more thrilling with emotion than such a meeting as this must have been akbar khan was kindly in his language and declared to the unhappy widow that he would give his right arm to undo if it were possible the deed that had been done the women and children and the married men whose wives were among this party were taken from the unfortunate army and placed under the care of akbar khan as events turned out this proved to be a fortunate thing for them but in any case it was the best thing that could be done not one of these women and children could have lived through the horrors of the journey which lay before the remnant of what had once been a british force the march was resumed new horrors set in new heaps of corpses stained the snow and then akbar khan presented himself with a fresh proposition in the treaty made at kabul between the english authorities and the afghan chiefs there was an article which stipulated that the english force of jalalabad shall march for peshawar before the kabul army arrives and shall not delay on the road akbar khan was especially anxious to get rid of the little army at jalalabad at the near end of the khyber pass he desired above all things that it should be on the march home to india either that it might be out of his way or that he might have a chance of destroying it on its way it was in great measure as a security for its moving that he desired to have the women and children under his care it is not likely that he meant any harm to the women and children it must be remembered that his father and many of the women of his family were under the control of the british government as prisoners in hindustan but he fancied that if he had the english women in his hands the army at jalalabad could not refuse to obey the conditions set down in the article of the treaty now that he had the women in his power however he demanded other guarantees 
with openly acknowledged purpose of keeping these latter until Jalalabad should have been evacuated. He demanded that General Elphinstone, the commander, with his second-in-command, and also one other officer, should hand themselves over to him as hostages. He promised, if this were done, to exert himself more than before to restrain the fanatical tribes, and also to provide the army in the Khord Kabul Pass with provisions. There was nothing for it but to submit, and the English general himself became, with the women and children, a captive in the hands of the inexorable enemy. Then the march of the army without a general went on again. Soon it became the story of a general without an army. Before very long, there was neither general nor army. It is idle to lengthen a tale of mere horrors. The straggling remnant of an army entered the Jugdalug Pass, a dark, steep, narrow, ascending path between crags. The miserable toilers found that the fanatical, implacable tribes had barricaded the pass. All was over. The army of Kabul was finally extinguished in that barricaded pass. It was a trap. The English were taken in it. A few mere fugitives escaped from the scene of actual slaughter and were on the road to Jalalabad, where Sale and his little army were holding their own. When they were within sixteen miles of Jalalabad, the number was reduced to six. Of these six, five were killed by straggling marauders on the way. One man alone reached Jalalabad to tell the tale. Literally, one man, Dr. Bryden, came to Jalalabad out of a moving host which had numbered in all some sixteen thousand when it set out on its march. The curious eye will search through history or fiction in vain for any picture more thrilling with the suggestions of an awful catastrophe than that of this solitary survivor, faint and reeling on his jaded horse as he appeared under the walls of Jalalabad to bear the tidings of our Thermopylae of pain and shame. This is the crisis of the story. With this, at least, the worst of the pain and shame were destined to end. The rest is all, so far as we are concerned, reaction and recovery. Our successes are common enough. We may tell their tale briefly in this instance. The garrison at Jalalabad had received before Dr. Bryden's arrival an intimation that they were to go out and march towards India in accordance with the terms of the treaty extorted from Elphinstone at Kabul. They very properly declined to be bound by a treaty which, as General Sale rightly conjectured, had been forced from our envoy and military commander with the knives at their throats. General Sale's determination was clear and simple. I propose to hold this place on the part of government until I receive its order to the contrary. This resolve of Sale's was really the turning point of the history. Sale held Jalalabad. Not was it Kandahar. Akbar Khan besieged Jalalabad. Nature seemed to have declared herself emphatically on his side, for a succession of earthquake shocks shattered the walls of the place, and produced more terrible destruction than the most formidable guns of modern warfare could have done. But the garrison held out fearlessly. They restored the parapets, re-established every battery, retrenched the whole of the gates, and built up all the breaches. They resisted every attempt of Akbar Khan to advance upon their works, and at length 
when it became certain that general pollock was forcing the khyber pass to come to their relief they determined to attack akbar khan's army they issued boldly out of their forts forced a battle on the afghan chief and completely defeated him before pollock having gallantly fought his way through the khyber pass had reached jalalabad the beleaguering army had been entirely defeated and dispersed general knott at kandahar was ready now to cooperate with general sale and general pollock for any movement on kabul which the authorities might advise or sanction meanwhile the unfortunate shah Suja, whom we had restored with so much pomp of announcement to the throne of his ancestors was dead he was assassinated in kabul soon after the departure of the british by the orders of some of the chiefs who detested him and his body stripped of its royal robes and its many jewels was flung into a ditch historians quarrel a good deal over the question of his sincerity and fidelity in his dealings with us it is not likely that an oriental of his temperament and his weakness could have been capable of any genuine and unmixed loyalty to the english strangers it seems to us probable enough that he may at important moments have wavered and even faltered glad to take advantage of any movement that might safely rid him of us and yet on the whole preferring our friendship and our protection to the tender mercies which he was doomed to experience when our troops had left him but if we ask concerning his gratitude to us it may be well also to ask what there was in our conduct towards him which called for any enthusiastic display of gratitude we did not help him out of any love for him or any concern for the justice of his cause it served us to have a puppet and we took him when it suited us we also abandoned him when it suited us as lady teasel proposes to do with honour in her conference with joseph surface so we ought to do with gratitude in discussing the merits of shah suja leave it out of the question what shah suja owed to us was a few weeks of idle pomp and absurd dreams a bitter awakening and a shameful death End of section twenty five